Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, a journalist, a broadcaster and the host of The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. Now, this podcast was recorded during the coronavirus outbreak, so please excuse any sound issues as we are recording remotely. And for the latest information on financial support and benefits, visit gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. Now, for many countries around the world, June marks Pride Month, which sees the LGBT plus community celebrate in a number of different ways. Today, we're going to be finding out why Pride Month and the events associated with it are still so important and touching on some of the financial issues and barriers faced by LGBT plus people across key life stages. Joining me today is Paul Martin, OBE, the CEO of the LGBT Foundation, a national charity delivering advice, support and information services to lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans communities. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Mr. Martin OBE, I should say. (laughs) Now, first of all, we've touched on the LGBT Foundation, but in your words, can you tell us about the work that you do? Sure. So I think the LGBT Foundation, we're based in Manchester, but we cover the whole of the UK um, and we provide a wide range of advice, information and support services, um, as well as doing research and policy work and and, and other forms of, of kind of like engagement work with LGBT communities and our allies. So um, we're probably one of the largest service providers of our kind in the country. We support about 40,000 uh, people every year. And one of the things I can tell you is our services are required even more so now during lockdown um, than ever before. So our helpline, which was founded back in 1975 um, by a a group of people working from somebody's back bedroom, interestingly, in its 45th year, it went back to being delivered from people's homes um, and the number of callers more than doubled last year. And unfortunately, the the, the severity uh, of the calls uh, significantly increased and we were literally being a lifeline for people uh, during their hours of need. So our organisation is is an incredibly diverse organisation. We're working with the widest range of LGBT people that we possibly can. And we're also doing a lot of equality work and awareness raising work such as this podcast. Yes, exactly. I mean, obviously a vital organisation. And as we've just mentioned, June is recognised as Pride Month by many. But who exactly is celebrating? Why are they celebrating? And what are sort of the celebrations that are taking place this year? So the reason the Pride Month um, is in June, um, is linked to the Stonewall riots uh, that took place um, back in um, New York, uh, where uh, members of the LGBT community were regularly being harassed by uh, the police. um, And there was a a hot, balmy night um, in uh, June uh, where people decided to fight back. That's why uh, Pride um, uh, Month is celebrated in June, to commemorate the Stonewall riots. But of course, um, there are pride events happening up and down the country. And even though a lot of those pride events have been cancelled, organisers have still uh, organised to do things online and remotely. So so there's going to be a lot of activity taking place uh, over uh, the month of June. 
Yeah, a lot of celebration as well, hopefully, as best we can. And I wanted to talk about uh, some laws because I think of the UK as quite advanced in terms of its protection laws surrounding the LGBT plus community in comparison to some parts of the world. But can you speak on how far we've come as a country and some of the landmarks for the LGBT community? For sure. I mean, I think for many years we had um, everything to be very proud of in this country in terms of the uh, equality legislation that existed for LGBT people. But sadly, over the last couple of years, we have been going down um, uh, the uh, league tables. Um, that's mainly to do with a relatively hostile environment um, in this country in relation to trans and non-binary people. There have been a lot of uh, restrictions that have been put in place and there's been a lot of legislation that has been um, uh, uh, sort of you know, blocked. So, for example, we should uh, by now have seen um, a complete uh, review and updating of the Gender Recognition Act. This government has decided not to do that. Um, we also know that the um, uh, government are going to be announcing uh, uh, a review of uh, conversion therapy. I think that, that there are a number of areas that we are not as progressive as we once were. But I think that compared to other parts of the world, yes, of course, uh, we have many, many protections that have been quite hard won and hard fought. But there are plenty of places in the world where lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans people will be murdered for um, loving who they love and, and, and living um, in their true identity. So we do need to be aware that globally um, it can still be a very hostile environment for many LGBT people. Yeah, and we may have discriminatory laws to offer more support than other countries, as you've just mentioned, to the LGBT plus community. But often the more difficult thing is that shifting of attitudes, isn't it? And what's your experience of where we're talking, where we're at with prejudice around today? Well, I think that, that it's still there. And I think that, you know, the, the reason why my organisation's services are still needed is because many people are rejected for being who they are. Um, it's not unusual for um, LGBT people to come out and then be abandoned by their families, rejected by their friends, um, discriminated against in their workplace or in their schools. Um, so I think that, 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 that if you look at a number of the media stories uh, at the moment, there's often um, a very, very hostile or discriminatory uh, element to those. If you think about uh, uh, the, the actual fact of having to come out um, as lesbian, gay, bisexual or trans, you automatically are signalling to the world that somehow you are different from the norm. You can't see my inverted commas with my fingers when I say that. But I think that what's really, really important is to remember that whilst things do get better, and you know, I'd very much want your listeners to think positively um, uh, about the, the the changes that have taken place and the inclusion and equality that does exist. There are still, for many people, um, a ways to go before they can feel safe to sort of like tell the world um, uh, who they are and who they love. Yeah, completely. You can't see me nodding along, but I'm also nodding along, Paul. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Um, I think a lot of people will be surprised to hear this. I was surprised to learn this, but the LGBT community faces problems in their financial lives simply as a result of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. So what has the LGBT Foundation recognised as the sort of most common financial problems raised by the community? 
Well, I think that uh, I was trying to find uh, a research report that we did uh, uh, last year, and and I have found a, a summary. It was connected to our older people's program that I know we're going to talk a bit about later on. Um, so this is mainly uh, answered by people slightly older than the usual cohort of, of our research uh, projects. But 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 you might be uh, you and your listeners might be surprised to to learn that a significant number of LGBT people. People are um, living on uh, benefits um, and often living below the poverty line. I think that there's been a lot of focus over the years about the pink pound, um, and that's been recently uh, upgraded to be more inclusive by being called the rainbow pound. Um, and I think it's true that there are some members of our community that are doing very nicely and are earning um, a, a nice amount of money and have fairly high levels of disposable income. And there's certainly a whole industry catered to sort of like, you know, people with those high levels of disposable income. But there are still plenty, just as many, if not more, um, LGBT people that are living in poverty, that are claiming uh, benefits, um, that are uh, not earning um, as much as their heterosexual peers. And I think particularly when we start to look at different parts of the lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans communities, if we start thinking about trans and non-binary people, I think 63% of trans people um, are unemployed and unable to get a job because of the discrimination they experience in employment because of their gender identity. Um, and there are plenty of LGBT people that leave school as quickly as they possibly can um, because of discrimination they've experienced and therefore don't go on to further or higher education, so therefore don't have the same level of um, qualifications as their heterosexual peers. Um, and I think that there are generally um, uh, quite a, a large number of uh, pe uh, people of colour, LGBT people and um, by people and maybe some of the LGBT people more at the margins of LGBT communities that are much more likely to be disadvantaged than anyone else and experience poverty in ways that non-LGBT people uh, don't. And I think that it's, it's also uh, fair to say that quite a lot of LGBT people don't have savings, don't own their own houses. Um, and, and, you know, whilst this is an emerging evidence base. So I wouldn't sort of like, you know, be able to sort of put conclusive um, uh, evidence forward to sort of like say that LGBT people are more disadvantaged financially than other parts of the community. Certainly the emerging evidence base suggests that that might be the case. Yeah. And let's touch on the workplace and some stats here, because we've mentioned the pay gap on this podcast before. And I think it's typically something we associate with the gender debate, but there's reportedly a 16% pay gap between LGBT plus professionals and their straight counterparts. So what do you think is the result of this? Could people maybe hide their identity when it comes to work? I think that's often the case, but I think that sometimes um, it's because as I've already mentioned, people have had such discrimination at school the thing that they wanted to do was leave as possible, you know, as early as possible, and and not continue with um, their education. So quite often, um, that puts people in sort of, you know, uh, the part of the jobs market that isn't well paid. We also know that LGBT people will often leave home as early as they can and sort of like move away um, to sort of like, you know, start their life over and and and, and live um, the life that they want to. And so often, you find LGBT people 
in seasonal jobs or transient jobs. There's a lot of people from the LGBT community in um, the hospitality trade. And of course, um, there's many LGBT people that have been incredibly disadvantaged through lockdown and people um, either losing their jobs or being on furlough. And so therefore, um, I suspect that this situation um, uh, has only, is only growing. But what I would say is that there's, there needs to be much more research undertaken in this area. But I think there are reasons because of people's sexual orientation and gender identity um, that can disadvantage them in the workplace. Now, I'm pretty certain that some of your listeners will be shaking their heads and going, well, that's not true. That's not the story for me. And I think that that's absolutely the correct um, position to be in, because for many members of the LGBT community, um, they have been uh, able to kind of like get qualifications and have been able to get kind of like good jobs. And they might often be the people that we hear about. They might well be the people that we see on social media. They may well the people whose stories are, are told and what I'm talking about and I think what you're asking about are the people whose stories are not quite so visible that are not so in the, the public uh, gaze and so therefore these are the stories of, of the people who are hidden these are the stories that go untold yeah and there's obviously still so much work to be done but sticking with the workplace for a second how can companies foster a more inclusive working environment for LGBT plus communities well, there are lots of ways. And, and I mean, I have to say that the private sector, uh, many parts of the private sector have really stepped up to the plate and really done great things um, in this area. I mean, Stonewall has been um, running their workplace equality index for many years. Um, and I think they were very clever to kind of like connect into that competitive nature um, between commercial brands to sort of like, you know, who gets the um, number one spot and where are you on the ratings? And so that's a, a very, very great skill. Scheme that, that works really, really well. And of course, there are a whole range of recommendations that Stonewall makes about making uh, the workplace much more LGBT inclusive. Um, I think that there are um, lots of time invested <clears throat> in bringing staff together to create LGBT network groups. And I think they're often the best way of, of generating ideas. You know, you, you actually bring members of your own workforce together, people that know your industry, know your company, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, and you ask them how it can be uh, improved, how uh, the workplace can be made better for LGBT people. I think it's about creating uh, inclusive policies. It's about making sure that pronoun use is, is kind of like adopted. We're, we, we often provide um, advice and training to organisations um, about introducing new approaches like pronouns on um, your badges, you know, in the workplace, particularly um, for um, front-facing staff in, 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 in retail establishments. Um, but there are many, many other ways about making the space being, you know, make it safer, make it more inclusive, um, not to uh, uh, put in place uh, policies or procedures that sort of like disadvantage LGBT people. It's very easy to be on the wrong side of that. And, and I, I speak regularly to people who still um, uh, are in the closet at work, don't feel capable or confident of coming out and telling their work colleagues um, about the gender identity of their partner or uh, about personal um, uh, information about themselves. And, and I think that there's really good research to show that actually that's really stressful and that you mm -hmm. don't live your best life if you are hiding your full identity and that actually 
you know, employers have everything to gain by creating those inclusive uh, workspaces so that people can be bring their, their full self uh, to work and, and perform better than they would do otherwise. Yeah, completely. I, I saw pronouns used on a TV programme, reality show for the first time the other day, and I thought, oh, I can't believe it's taken this long. Um, so yeah, there's there's still a lot to do. And let's let's think of another big thing that impacts us all financially, then housing. You've touched on renting, but mm-hmm. whether people are renting or they're buying, what are some of the issues for the LGBT plus community? Well, I think that there's, there's, you know, that thing, things are better in terms of sort of like, you know, opportunities to uh, protect your partner and investments that you might make together in buying a house. So by getting a civil partnership or getting married, you can kind of like, you know, protect you and your partner from um, uh, uh, situations that, that could disadvantage you. But I think if I take my own situation, I mean, I um, uh, have I bought my first house with my husband 16 years ago. We were together for longer than that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, we were we were together before then and uh, we had our own houses, but we bought together only 16 years ago. Um, and uh, we went through an incredibly complicated procedure to get um, insurance uh, for uh, our mortgage. Purely wow. simply because if we had gone to the mortgage company um, as a gay male couple, I mean, it wasn't possible to be married 16 years ago, but if we'd gone to yeah. them, then they would have insisted that we uh, if we were making a joint purchase as we did they would have insisted on us having hiv tests independently um and they would also have charged us a higher premium um just because they would have perceived us to be more of a risk um and it was never quite determined what that risk might be but we were deemed to be more of a risk than heterosexual couples um and so therefore we went through a complicated procedure where we didn't disclose our relationship um uh, uh, when we bought the house um, and we went through um, a process whereby uh, the insurance cover that we had was below £100,000. That was a th- threshold. If you had insurance cover over £100,000, you were forced to have an HIV test. So um, obviously our house was more than £100,000. So we had uh, a number of different insurance policies that we kind of like, you know, knitted together to create that financial security. Um, because, you know, contrary to the risk assessment, we were very, very serious and responsible um, adults who wanted to protect the other just in case something happened to uh, one of us. So I think that you know, that was only 16 years ago um, that, that we had to kind of like, you know, create a way around the rules. And so I think that what will surprise many of your listeners are, is that LGBT people are often deemed to be somehow more of a risk or somehow less than uh, the general population and therefore are forced to pay a premium for access to financial services that the rest of the population just take for granted. Um, and, and that comes as quite a surprise. And, and we are reassured that that situation has changed um, uh, now, but you never can be 100% sure. And, and, and a good test is to sort of like, you know, change your details when you actually apply for uh, a mortgage or a financial um, uh, product and see whether or not um, you get the same uh, premium leveled at mm. you. But and, and, and certainly in the past, that was a situation where, where, where we were disadvantaged. We were discriminated mm. against in actual fact. Yeah. That, and that just sounds so ridiculous to me. Like yeah, like you say, hopefully that is something that's changed. But maybe something you can 
look at? But I think that the, it, it, what I think it, it demonstrates is that these new protections are hard won, but very recent. And we need to always be aware that these things can be taken away from us. I've been a member of the uh, government's ministerial LGBT advisory panel, which recently was disestablished. And, you know, the often when you're talking to ministers or senior civil servants, you know, you remind them that the fragility of these protections are such that it's not surprising that members of the community um, are, are very suspicious or are very concerned when the government doesn't quickly announce sort of like something positive. And, and again, what we've seen with conversion therapy um, uh, announcement, you know, we've been arguing against conversion therapy for years. We've been given guarantees several times by this government. And the announcement is saying that they still want to do some public consultation. What more is there to be consulted on? You know, a complete ban is the only thing that is acceptable. And yet this government is trying to appease too many people and particularly people that might not be allies or supporters of LGBT people. So these protections are, are, are recent and hard won, but also quite fragile. Yeah, and sticking with the the property issue uh, just for a second as well. Now, although discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender is illegal, it has been reported that LGBT plus people encounter higher rates of mortgage application declines. Do you, is that something that your foundation has found? I mean, it wouldn't necessarily totally surprise me based upon sort of like, you know, the experience that I talked about that I went through with my hubby. Um, but I think that 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 certainly um, a lot more research needs to be undertaken in this space uh, about the financial needs of LGBT communities and what kind of products need to be put in place and what kind of protections need to be attached to uh, those products. Mm, and is it true as well, in your experience, Paul, that some landlords might look at LGBT plus individuals less favourably? Yeah, that's definitely uh, uh, the case. I mean, I mean, oh, there's there's a counter to that. There are plenty of people that will actively encourage uh, LGBT residents. You know, we are quite uh, house trained, and we often leave <laughs> things much more attractive than than when we than how we found them. But in all seriousness, I think that you know that there are definitely there's definitely a a market that is positively um, looking for LGBT uh, tenants. But there will always be people that are prejudiced. I mean, um, we are currently looking for um, new uh, office uh, accommodation um, in the centre of Manchester. Um, and believe it or believe it not, we viewed a positive property recently, um, only to be told that we wouldn't be able to do HIV testing or sexual health testing um, uh, from this centre. And of course, that's a very incredibly important part of our community services, um, because uh, there'll be people coming in and touching the door handles and we don't want them to get anything. Um, and um, so we sat the, the, the agent down and talked through how HIV is transmitted and what the risk factors are. Um, but even doing that, they went, yeah, but some people still think you can get it by touching door handles. So we'd rather you didn't do HIV testing uh, uh, from this space. So you can see that there's still quite a lot of, you know, prejudicial thinking, discriminatory attitudes that are in place. 
Yeah, and I suppose it's these results of people worrying about whether when they go for a mortgage, when they go and look for offices, when they go and look at a rental, that they kind of have to, not in, in terms of obviously office, but maybe people going out there to rent might hide their status for fear of those kind of reactions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, stigma and discrimination for people with HIV is enormous. And we've seen a massive difference in the way that this current coronavirus pandemic has played out compared to the HIV pandemic uh, that has been in place for 40 years. You know, this is not the first pandemic that my community has lived through. Um, And we uh, had to uh, uh, develop most of the coping mechanisms and most of the coping uh, strategies ourselves as a community uh, with our allies 40 years ago. Um, So, um, you know, uh, people with HIV are still facing very prejudicial attitudes. And for me, it's the best argument that you possibly can have that we need to have inclusive education in schools um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, young people need to be given the right information. But because it's such a patchwork out there and because so many schools don't kind of like cover inclusive um, uh, education. You have um, young people leaving schools holding the the prejudicial attitudes of their parents. And so, you know, how could you possibly have a serious conversation with um, a business person saying to us, oh, well, you know, people with HIV might touch the door handles and therefore, you know, I have to think of my other tenants. You kind of think this is ridiculous that you're having this conversation in 2021. And yet here we are. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Still so much education to be done. And you've mentioned you've been married 16 years. After this podcast is over, I will be asking for your tips. Um, but when let's talk about relationships then. Marriage, civil partnerships, they all bring with them certain rights. Maybe it's pensions, maybe it's tax. But is there anything that unmarried LGBT plus couples should be aware of when it comes to protecting their finances, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, if you want tips, it's always agreeing that he's right, I think, is the best way that (laughs) I've found of of surviving and navigating that. But um, uh, the the, the reality um, is that if you are an unmarried uh, LGBT person, I mean, starters, you know, what what are you doing living over the brush without marriage and a ring on your finger is a starting point now, (laughs) Um, But uh, in all seriousness, if you if you own any assets in common, if you have um, any kids, if you have any pets, um, then actually the legal status um, and your rights uh, will potentially be um, in question in doubt. And it's much, much better um, to to sort of I mean, it's not very romantic to get a civil partnership to protect your assets or your house or your rights as a pet owner. But the reality is, is that it makes perfect sense to make sure that legally Um, you are covered and that you've had those conversations. I think that so many people just leave all that up to chance. I mean, I have a very different approach to money to my, than my husband. Um, and, you know, it's it's not, um, uh, you know, it's a fact, isn't it, of married life that, that most uh, arguments are to do with uh, money and religion. Um, but I think that, you know, having conversations about how you want to manage your assets, how you want to sort of like, you know, manage your money, um, whether you want to have sort of like joint account or have separate accounts with bill accounts and so on and so forth, there's a range of different ways to to sort of, you know, uh, live a much more harmonious life. 
Yeah, completely. And as we say on this podcast a lot, uh, quite a lot of this is maybe not so sexy conversations, but it's all important stuff when it comes to finance and making sure everyone is aware and all things have been discussed. And another big key life event for so many people is having children. But family planning for the LGBT plus community isn't quite as straightforward as it is for cisgendered heterosexual people. So aside from practical and emotional issues that people maybe face, how might this impact them financially? Are there extra costs maybe? that they need to factor in? Well, I think that there's always extra costs associated with children. I mean, that's what my uh, uh, friends with children always say. Um, But um, I think that it's not um, as easy necessarily for LGBT couples to actually um, conceive children. Often a great deal of thought um, goes into sort of like bringing children into the lives of LGBT people. Um, You know, everything from sort of like, you know, adoption through to uh, fertility treatment. Usually these children are very, very planned for and usually the parents have gone through quite a few uh, uh, hoops uh, to kind of like, you know, become uh, a parent. Um, and again, it goes back to sort of like having a civil partnership or uh, a marriage uh, uh, certificate in terms of kind of like protecting those children and protecting um, uh, the rights of, of, of your partner. Um, I think that, you know, beyond that, um, you know, financial planning for uh, LGBT parents is much the same as it is for, you know, heterosexual parents, you know, in terms of making provision for kids in terms of, you know, university funds and sort of like, you know, more practical, you know, piano lessons or whatever it is that kids want to do. Uh, uh, but I think that, that there's definitely um, advice. I mean, all, 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 all of the friends that I know that have had um, children in LGBT relationships have, have kind of like gone into this with their eyes wide open and done an awful lot of research and have had to do a lot of preparation. And I think that there's definitely uh, uh, an area of further support that organisations like mine should be considering. Um, uh, you know, the number of LGBT parents are growing uh, exponentially. Um, and I think the level of need, therefore, is, is kind of growing. And so therefore, organisations like mine should be paying more attention to this space. Yeah, and we did speak to Rich from uh, Two Dads in London about this in depth on another episode. I'm sure we can link to that in the show notes. But um, what are some of the other issues then, Paul, faced by the ageing LGBT plus demographic? Is there anything that people need to consider when it comes to those pensions, to those retirement plans? Well, now you see you're getting into my territory now. So as, a, as, as somebody that has passed 50, um, I'm now deemed to be Perfectly matured. Older. Now, unfortunately, I'm deemed to be older. Um, So 50 plus is older. I completely reject that uh, wholeheartedly (laughs) and as strenuously as my 52-year-old body can. Um, But it's definitely something that that we need to think about. We need to think about, you know, at what point do we retire, about what kind of financial, what kind of lifestyle we want to kind of fund. And I think it's true that for many members of the LGBT community, they they haven't got many assets. As I said to you, we did a, a piece of research with older LGBT people recently because we are involved in in developing what they call an extra care scheme. So in Manchester, we're going to have the UK's first purpose-built 
um, extra care scheme for 55 and older and people that have a certain level of, of, of care needs. Um, there's going to be over 80 units. It's a partnership um, with Manchester City Council and uh, Anchor Hanover Housing Association. And we're working in partnership with them to create um, this, this supported uh, community, which is really, really exciting. But the research that we've undertaken so far <clears throat> suggests that Many LGBT people haven't um, made financial plans for the future, don't particularly have many uh, savings and therefore may well um, uh, really experience quite high levels of pensioner poverty. Um, and I think that, that again, it's, it's something that we need to do a lot more about in terms of, you know, getting people to uh, think about their future. I mean, I, I guess that for gay men of my generation, it's not unsurprising that many of us, when we came out and sort of like first started to look around, we were seeing lots of gay men dying in their thirties, mm. forties, and fifties, and so therefore there may well be a subconscious view that older, you know, that men didn't get older, and so therefore you live for today and you didn't think about tomorrow, and that's certainly something that I've encountered with friends of mine that are HIV positive and that have actually <clears throat> thought they'd be dead and so therefore have gone out and hammered that credit card or sort of like, you know, spent up and not made any provision for the future, only to find out that actually the drugs have worked and they're still alive. Um, and, um, you know, a, a, a dear friend of mine is, 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 is now sort of like retrained, got a great career, not as senior as he should be based upon his skills, but he had 10 years out of the workplace. So therefore, you know, like Mary kind of like mothers and stuff so was disadvantaged by that and so he's quite behind in the grand scheme of things in terms of where he would have been had he not uh, become HIV uh, positive and there are many people in that situation so I think that there's there's definitely um, uh, uh, more needs which is why we as LGBT Foundation are looking at this area we, 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 we've developed a, an older people's program called Pride in Aging which is looking at how we support older LGBT people, often who are not connected to family networks, often who are estranged from sort of like the usual support structures that we rely on when we get older. Um, unsurprisingly, older gay men uh, are much more likely to need um, uh, help from social services um, uh, than their heterosexual counterparts, because their heterosexual counterparts have often got children or grandchildren that will look after them, whereas the gay man uh, doesn't. So there are some very obvious reasons why older LGBT people may well be um, in greater need as they get older. And I think that my organisation and other charities in the LGBT sector are starting to consider what role we might play in terms of better supporting our elders. And I think just about in time for when I need it, um, I'm certainly kind of like wholeheartedly behind that. Yeah, definitely. And this is the Pride in Ageing campaign. Is yeah. it true that Sir Ian McKellen is uh, supporting this as well? The wonderful yeah. Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, uh, Ian is a, a great supporter of ours and he's one of our patrons and so therefore has done uh, a lot of things for us over the years. Um, and he agreed to come up and launch the Pride in Ageing uh, programme. And as a consequence, I mean, he got great media, as, as you would expect. Um, but as a consequence, everybody thinks it's Sir Ian's kind of like scheme. Um, and uh, I've always 
But what days is he in the office? Well, absolutely. I mean, I've, 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 got, a, I've got a note out to him saying, um, you know, where are you? You're missing in action, Serena. You know, we want you in the office more regularly. No, but I mean, he's an absolute sweetheart and, and he's very, very supportive of the work. And um, uh, uh, I mean, as, as he's celebrating his 80th birthday by doing a national tour when he launched it. So he was sort of like saying that, you know, there's no retirement for him in the future. So, and of course, um, he's just recently been on... Uh, uh, um, uh, Jonathan Ross talking about um, he, he he you know playing Hamlet, so it's interesting that sort of like you know there's there's no no let up from him, but yeah no Pride and Aging is a is a is a program of support um, to reduce social isolation. So we have a, a whole range of events and activity. Plus we are looking at, uh, at providing counselling, other kind of support to older LGBT people. And um, during lockdown, we we launched a, a new offer called Rainbow Brew Buddies. So we were getting a lot of calls, particularly from older people, about their social isolation during the first lockdown. So, so we quickly uh, recruited a bunch of volunteers um, and uh, the idea of uh, Rainbow Brew Buddies is you ring um, uh, an older person, you know, or somebody in need. It doesn't have to be, don't have to be just older, um, but somebody that is socially isolated. And during the course of having a brew with them on the phone, you just chat and make sure they're okay. And it would prove to be phenomenally popular, really, really popular. Um, and we were able to pick up on a whole range of issues that we wouldn't have necessarily been done then. So, you know, we were able to put people in touch with food banks. We were able to sort of like, you know, put people in touch with other local support in their area. And I think... When you think about where we were this time last year, I mean, we were very isolated if we didn't have anybody else in the house. And the idea that you might not speak to somebody for a couple of days or for a couple of weeks is just, you know, it was it was shocking. And so therefore, Rainbow Brew Buddies came along at a really good time. And I think what it's meant for us is that we're starting to think about what other advocacy services might we provide to older LGBT people. You know, the kind of thing that I do for my mom, you know, help her with with sort of like, you know, an official form or sort of like give us some advice about where, you know, where to kind of like get the best travel insurance or whatever, you know, the kind of things that, you know, a son does for for a parent, um, that if you haven't got kids to do that, then maybe um, uh, LGBT Foundation volunteers can sort of like step into the breach and, and be that supportive advocate for you to, to help you navigate some of the uh, uh, more difficult parts of life. So that's definitely yeah. something that we're, we're yeah. exploring. Yeah, and what a wonderful campaign as well. Um, I wanted to also ask, though, financial products and services, are there any other areas that can be impacted by this LGBT plus prejudice, do you think? I mean, I think I think that, you know, <clears throat> it's really important for us to kind of get balanced. So, so, you know, a lot of what I've been talking about are some of the extreme examples or where things still need to improve. In the main, um, you know, the, the financial services industry Industry has done uh, a lot of positive work to make itself more inclusive. Um, and it's difficult to think about financial products when you don't just think about kind of people with disposable income or people who are affluent, because there's definitely some insurance uh, products that uh, uh, LGBT people could benefit from, as probably the, the whole population could, you know, health insurance and other forms of, of insurance. I mean, I, I've worked for a charity for 30 years, and so therefore, my employment has always been potentially a little bit precarious because you never know um, where the next contract's coming from. I mean, you know, so I've got um, 
personally, I, I've got salary protection insurance. I can't remember what it's actually called, but it's not called that, but but, but income protection insurance, I think it is, just in case I, I become ill or unable to work and stuff. Because, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I and my husband are protected and stuff. So um, I don't think that insurance product has been, um, I don't think I'd be disadvantaged because I'm a gay man, but, you know, uh, I might have, been charged a higher premium because um, uh, insurance underwriters might have assumed that I had a greater likelihood of becoming HIV positive than a heterosexual man of, of the same age. I don't know, but there are definitely there are definitely situational issues that we need to make sure are not taken into account um, when um, financial products are offered to LGBT people. I mean, I think that certainly um, at the moment, trans and non-binary people are very, very disadvantaged in um, the world. Um, and I think particularly in this country, there are lots of very negative attitudes and discriminatory attitudes that are leveled towards them. And I think that, 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 that probably they um, are more likely to be disadvantaged than any other part of the LGBT community in this space. And so I think that, you know, if, if there are people listening from financial services, you know, my um, plea would be to make sure that you're not disadvantaging any member of the LGBT community in terms of access to your product. Um, because it's really, really important that everybody is treated equally and fairly and with respect. And I think too often um, trans and non-binary people are not treated with dignity and respect in, in this country, particularly online and particularly by the media. Yeah, I'm nodding my head off, Paul. I know you can't see it, but I'm nodding along with you. Um, so where would you recommend people go to look for support for their finances or choosing the right products and services for them? Well, this is a really interesting question because um, the obvious um uh, uh, well, th there isn't an obvious answer because I don't, I mean, there are definitely service providers on the market that um, uh, uh, aim to serve LGBT communities. And so if if listeners sort of like, you know, are in that space, then just Google LGBT financial products and see what kind of comes up. Um, I'm not um, able to kind of like recommend any particular uh, provider. Um, but I think that it's probably an area that is still underserved. I mean, I know over the years, we've had conversations with financial um, providers about potentially partnering um, with particular products. And certainly, you know, we have a, a couple of corporate partnerships. But I think it's probably, if I'm being really honest with you, it's a very underserved area and that it's one that needs more attention. And maybe it's something that um, people listening to this might want to kind of like pick up and, and, and take yeah. And another very important question for you as well. If anyone listening to this has been a victim of discrimination, what should they do and where's the best place for them to go for help? If it's safe for them to do so, they should definitely report it and protect themselves. So one of the things that um, uh, sadly lockdown um, created was a significant increase in the number of self-referrals to our domestic abuse service. So um, uh, sadly, our domestic abuse service has been sort of like a, a growth area for uh, my organisation in recent years. Um, and uh, the more uh, work we do and the more more aware we make people of the service, the more people are coming forward. Um, um, I'm not sure that was exactly the question that you asked me, because I, 
think you were talking about hate crime, but I think any form of, of abuse or any form of discrimination is really important for people not to put up with. But often people are not in a safe um, position to take do something about it. I mean, domestic violence is not just between partners. It's also between siblings and between sort of like, you know, parents and children as well. So um, it, it's something that if, if you are in um, a difficult situation, then try and do everything you can to protect yourself. You are worth it. Um, but there are plenty of LGBT helplines out there, my own organisations included. There are, uh, there's actually, uh, we we chair the LGBT helplines partnership. Um, and that's been a great uh, outcome of uh, 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 coronavirus lockdowns, where the um, main LGBT helplines in this country have kind of got together to talk about how we can work more collaboratively together and how we can extend the offer. So helplines are a really good place and you can ring a helpline as many times as you want um, to talk to people about your issues and there will always be a trained um, operator on the other end that will be able to support you as best they possibly can. There are, um, if you are experiencing or have experienced a hate crime, then you should definitely report it to your local police force or the National Hate Crime Reporting Line. Um, the details of these numbers can be available online or maybe you can link it to this podcast but I would really really encourage everybody not to put up with it um, not to put up with discrimination not to um, sort of somehow think that, that, that a hate crime was was something that they deserved or that they were asking for it it's absolutely not acceptable and even if the situation isn't as serious as a hate crime it could definitely warrant as a hate incident so you know it's not unusual for LGBT people to be going about their everyday business and to be called, you know, a whole range of different words from sort of like quite often young kids on the street. Um, mm. It's not acceptable, for, you know, and you shouldn't have to put up with it. And I would actively encourage people to to report it as often as possible, just because um, if you don't, it goes un reported and you know it becomes another hidden statistic um and so therefore you know we'll never get on top of it and we'll never see the true nature of it until we sort of like see the, the full number of hate incidents or hate crimes and unfortunately there are far too many far 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 too many um uh than than, than we would like and i think that particularly um during lockdown people from lgbt communities found themselves in quite unsafe environments environments that they hadn't necessarily banked on spending quite so much time in um, and so we were providing a lot of support to people in terms of, of making themselves as safe as they could be and getting out of difficult situation if that was possible um, so yeah uh, report it report it report it do not um, suffer in silence would be um, the, the 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 key message I would be giving to any listeners that were in that difficult situation get advice and get support don't suffer in silence on your own uh, yeah completely agree and as Paul mentioned as always we'll have lots of resources uh, in the show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast today um, but we're nearly at the end of the episode now and I'm definitely going to take away the uh, wonderful phrase over the brush that you used <laughs> earlier on I have Should not have heard that. that banking that one but have if you, you had like top takeaways from this podcast if you know people do things whilst they're listening to the podcast what are the top things you want people to remember from all the tips you've given us today 
Well, I suppose that the last one is really important, isn't it, about not suffering in silence and get help and advice if you need it. And I think that's true for just about any situation. So I think that it's really, really important for you to uh, do whatever you can to protect yourself and safeguard yourself. A great starting point would be to ring a helpline like my organisations. It's available seven days a week um, on um, 0845 30 30 30. Other LGBT helplines available across the country. But it's really important that you make that first step to help yourself and to protect yourself. And the operators on my helpline and other LGBT helplines are available there for you um, uh, uh, to get the support that you might need. We know evidence is very, very clear that um, this uh, coronavirus has disproportionately impacted on LGBT people in lots of different ways. Um, uh, it certainly increased isolation that was there anyway. It certainly um, highlighted the fact that many LGBT people are not in um, robust support structures and so therefore are quite isolated. Um, so, so getting advice, getting support, helping yourself um, to get out of situations if you can would be really, really important advice. I also think that, you know, there's, there's obviously um, this, this podcast is about, you know, financial planning and financial services. And so I think that, you know, having a little bit of a think about your own situation, you know, what kind of situation are you in? Are you, you know, do you own your own house? And if you do own your own house, um, have you um, made provisions about what happens if something happens to you? Like if you can't work or, you know, I, I guess that, that, that for a lot of people who may have been furloughed or may have lost their jobs as a result of, of coronavirus, virus, then actually um, that's going to be a, you know, they've, they've already been doing that in thinking about how am I going to keep a, a roof over my head. If you want to, um, you know, buy um, uh, a property, I, I know quite a few of my colleagues have, you know, because they've not been able to go out for a year, have been able to make some, you know, some savings. And so they're suddenly in a situation of starting to think about, you know, buying their first property. So I think doing a little bit of a spring clean with your finances, thinking about, you know, your own situation um, would be would be something that um, would be really sensible to kind of like do. But I think that most importantly, I think that, you know, if you are an LGBT person listening, make sure you understand that you are loved and that you are um, a brilliant person. And if you're an LGBT ally, make sure you support LGBT people and make sure you tell them that they are brilliant too, because I think that's really, really important in a sometimes hostile environment for people to be told that they're brilliant and that they're loved. And it will get better if you're in a difficult situation. Yeah. Okay, a lovely note. And if you are in that position, like you just mentioned, of your friends thinking about buying, highly recommend the back catalogue of this uh, Penny Drops podcast. Um, but we have talked about some very, you know, serious things on this podcast. But on a light note, we always like to end by asking our guests, Paul, if you could go back and give your 18 year old self a bit of advice, what would it be? Don't accept that cigarette um, uh, at the back of the bike sheds at lunchtime because you'll only regret it. Um, secondly, instead of going behind the bike shed smoking at lunchtime, go into the gym and go into that weightlifting class that you feel too intimidated to go into because if you'd started working out at 18, you'd be in a better state than you are now. And the final thing that I would tell my 18-year-old self is that 50 quid you got from grandma 
go and invest it in a couple of guys in America that have started this project called Apple Macintosh. <laughs> Just buy 50 quids worth of shares and you'll be set for life. That is a great one. Paul Martin, OBE, thank you so much for joining me on The Penny Drops. You're very, very welcome. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Royal London.